You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. Revelation 21.1 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, and behold, I, uh, 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 and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And then I'll actually read verse seven. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be with me as my son. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the surety and the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our future resurrection that we long to forward to, and we look forward, God, for the resurrection of the new earth, the restoration of all things, the coming of what is yet to be fulfilled and consummated in your return. We look forward to that. God, encourage our hearts in the present. Lord, as Lars was telling us, whatever we've been called to do now, let us go and do it. Let us live in the present. Let us live now, living for what you have called us to do, yet also have a heart and a mindset towards heaven and what is yet to come, the hope that we have, which is a living hope. God, orient our lives and our minds to that direction. Today, would you give us uh, understanding from your word and encourage us with these words? In Jesus' name, amen. So far in our study, we've done a lot of thinking about heaven. And it was a study and a series that I had been kind of doing on my own a little bit as I was intrigued on it. And unfortunately, over the last couple of years, I, I did a lot of funerals and walked through a lot of death and passing with, with many of you. And it was a time as a young pastor that I had to grapple with what I thought about heaven and the future state. And it was something that uh, was a bit daunting to me as I looked at the series and as others talked to me about, how about you talk about this or get into this? And I, I, I started seeking God about this and it was something that kind of came about rather quickly once we decided to move ahead with it. And so the last couple of messages, there's only six sermons on this in the series. If you're joining with us, you're brand new, uh, you can find all these online. Uh, but let me just give you a quick recap of where we've been because we're bringing this series to a close today. The first message we looked at was the children of the day. This was from 1 Thessalonians 5 where we did that comparison of an early bird or a night owl. Do you remember that? Uh, whether you're light or day, darkness and light. Uh, and it compared really as we're talking about heaven, one of the main questions is are you going to heaven? 
And so where, where is that? Where is your faith? Where is your belief? And, and all of that we looked at in regards to the day of the Lord, the parousia as it's talked about, the coming of the Lord. He is going to return one day. And are you ready for that day? Are you encouraged by those words as he says in Thessalonians? Are you eagerly anticipating the return of the Lord, the day of the Lord? The second message we looked at was from 2 Peter 3.13 and really the entire Bible as we walked through the concept of heaven and the purpose of, of really Jesus' coming and all that he's come to do. But it was founded in 2 Peter 3.13 where it said, but according to his promise, we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Ask the question, if you could go to heaven right now, would you go? Or would you, if I told you, if you could wait five years and still go to heaven, would you go then? And you're thinking about all the different things you wanted to get done or still wanted to enjoy before you have to go to heaven. And sometimes that's our way and mindset thinking about it because it's something that's, um, you know, just something that's not that exciting or that great and it's this immaterial existence and so no one really wants to go there. We want to enjoy life before we have to go. Yet there is obviously a parting which is sorrowful and difficult and so there is that tension that we live in. Adoniram Judson said, I'm not tired of my work, neither am I tired of the world. Yet, when Christ calls me home, I shall go with the gladness of a boy bounding away from his school. Tim Keller said, as we shared, the Bible teaches that the future is not an immaterial, non-physical paradise, but a new heaven and a new earth, which is our final destination. In Revelation 21, we do not see human beings being taken out of this world into heaven, but rather heaven coming down and cleansing, renewing, and perfecting this material world. And that's why we looked at heaven from the concept of the earth. Three earths, we looked at the Edenic earth, the earth in the beginning, the fallen earth, earth with sin, and then the new earth. The new heaven and the new earth converged again in righteousness and holiness and the purity of God. And, and then, then we looked at the third sermon. The third message in this series was the new world where we looked at Matthew 19, 28, as it said, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Truly, I say to you, in the new world, you remember that, the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we, we imagined what a new world could potentially look like. And I, and I talked to us, imagine a world without sin or death. Imagine all of these aspects of relationships without fear or shame. Imagine a world, just this sense of a brave new world we talked about. Huxley's book, which was this human-designed world uh, perfecting a world, and yet we realize that's an impossible state. Even us and all of our technology and our, and our Wi-Fi speeds and, and our space travel, we'll never create a world on our own apart from Christ. And so we need God to save us. We need God to redeem and restore and, and bring things and renovate everything. We need him for Romans 8 says all creation is groaning, uh, seeking and yearning for their redemption. And so as we all yearn and we groan together desiring for the, the, the word is the palagenesia, this new genesis, this new world, this regeneration, this renewal. This is the language that we speak about when we're talking about the end, which is really just the beginning of a new world, an exciting physical material universe, uh, an earth very much like the earth we know, yet without sin, without death, and totally perfect in God's state as we dwell with him. And yet, for the fourth message, we looked at the present heaven. 
the present heaven, which is maybe some of the burning questions, and maybe when we think about heaven, the, the place in which we think about most often is the present heaven or the intermediate state. It, where are my loved ones who have died in Christ? Where are they right now? And the Bible says in a few passages, speaking about this intermediate state, this uh, present heaven, that they are with Jesus. They are with God in what Jesus describes as paradise, a garden-like state uh, with God, with him in his presence. For Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And other passages we see that describe that nothing can separate us from God. And when we are in his love, Nothing separates us. Uh, The Bible says that I am sure that neither death nor life nor anything else will separate us from the love of God. And so when we are found in the love of God, we will find ourselves in his presence forever in the intermediate state. And when he returns to restore the new earth, we will continue to dwell with him. So Randy Alcorn says it bears repeating because it's commonly misunderstood when we die. Believers in Christ will not go to heaven where we'll live there forever forever. Instead, we'll go to the intermediate heaven. In that present heaven, we await the time of Christ's return to earth, our bodily resurrection, the final judgment, and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. Because for us, ultimately, death in Christ is gain, he says in Philippians. This is gain, to be with him. And then last week, last week was the fifth message of I will rise, we talked about, heaven and the resurrection, heaven and the resurrection where we repeated the very commonly understood phrases from the Apostles' Creed. The end of the Apostles' Creed is I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. This central truth is really the central truth to all of our faith that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important fact, the most important event in human history. If Christ is not risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. But 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, in fact, Christ has risen from the dead. And it's because of that fact that Jesus is our resurrection. He is our first fruits of our future resurrection. Jesus Christ is like the prototype that goes before us. He is the one who represents us. He is the example of our future bodily resurrection and really ultimately the example of the future of the created order that is still yet to come. And so he goes as a forerunner before. There's so many different metaphors, we won't get into them, but that's speaking of Jesus as the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15. And then it talks about the two Adams. The first Adam, sin entered the world. By the last Adam, Jesus Christ, he became a life-giving spirit and we have life eternal in him. The first Adam is death. The last Adam is life. 1 Corinthians 15. And then, so that is why we can come to lay our loved ones to rest and on a gravestone it can have that screen. We looked at it last week, that, that picture, that Latin phrase, resurgum. Do you remember that? Resurgum means I shall rise again. And traditionally throughout the church that was something often put on gravestones of believers. Resurgum, I shall rise again. And that is our hope, our living hope that when he returns he will resurrect us physically to live with him on a new earth forever. And so this last message is really kind of trying to tie in some of those pieces, think it through a little bit more deeply and think about heaven And some of the questions that I got throughout this series at different times was ultimately revolving around this one major question of what are we gonna do in the new heaven and the new earth, right? 
When you think about eternity, some even mention, uh, when I think about forever and eternity, it even brings like anxiety to me. Like that makes me nervous, you know? Like what is that going to be? We have a, a difficult understanding even trying to grasp that. I found a quote in John Eldridge's books on, uh, on this where he says, uh, what will you do in the life to come? Everything you were born to do. Everything you've always wanted to do. And everything the kingdom needs you to do. I found that just helpful and poignant as we're thinking about this today. You ever wanted to take up a hobby uh, but never felt like you had the time or maybe the skill to be good at that hobby? (laughs) Have you ever um, wanted to start a project that you never had the ability to finish the project and it's just been left undone? Have you ever started reading a book or studying a topic and you never found you could understand it or you're never able to really finish that book and it sits on that shelf and it's half done? Well, I think in heaven, when we get around to these kinds of things, we're gonna be able to explore all that the earth and the world and the creation has to offer in ways that we never can in this present life. I've always wanted to play the guitar. Kalel's over here singing, just amazing, you know, playing the guitar. These guys doing that, everybody here playing music. I've, I've really actually wanted to learn to play the guitar. I've tried twice, okay? Kalel, I'm talking to you, maybe you can help me out over here. I've tried twice, I had a guitar at one point. And yet I just never stuck with it, you know? I, as you know, I've sung at different times here in the middle of my sermons. I have an amazing voice, clearly. But my, my guitar skills are, are just, are not the greatest, okay? But I've wanted to. I really like have this burning desire. I think it's this image of myself, like being able to just play guitar and being awesome at it. And yet I never put in the time, right? It takes time. It takes practice. And I never did it. Okay, and then my fingers always hurt, you know? You guys get that when you're like, ow, it just hurts. Okay, uh, so I never did that. And then I've always wanted to write a book. That's kind of like one of my life goal. Like one day, I'll do that, okay? One day, I'll get around to that. That's a desire. Uh, but I've not been able to find the time currently since I write so much for this present job that I have. But I've wanted to do that. I've wanted to travel, like the world, but it costs a lot of money and like a lot of money. So I don't really have that at all right now. So the travel, it's like, I'd love to go there, but when am I gonna do that? I, I've, I've wanted to be actually really good at the game of tennis. I enjoy soccer and basketball and sports, but I've always liked tennis. I worked at a, a tennis club growing up and yet I always watched people play tennis and they always were really good and I, I'd love to take lessons and learn tennis. And that's something I like one day, maybe I'll do that. And maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But you know what? The fact is, maybe in heaven, in the new heaven and the new earth, I'll get to enjoy these aspects of hobbies and sports and playing and, 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 and enjoy creation in ways that the time that I have now just never limit, limits me to. I talked a few weeks about bucket lists, right? The things you gotta do before you kick the bucket, right? Isn't that the idea? And yet here, so much of that bucket list might be left undone, and yet you can finish that and even more in the life that is to come. I think sometimes we put a period at the end of our life and, and there's really more of an ellipsis. There's still more to come. And so finishing things, yes, is important, but I believe there's gonna be ways that we're gonna be able to investigate the created order. Uh, We're gonna be able to study the science and the engineering, the mathematics and the astronomy. We're gonna be able to explore and, and have adventures on the new earth that is to come. Because right now, the world that we live in is difficult, it's hard. There's so much to learn and so much to do and so little time, right? You guys feel like that sometimes? There's so little time. And yet for eternity and in the future of what is revealed to us here is an incredible, an incredible journey into a spiritual and physical adventure with God. 
And so thinking about the new earth, I believe we're gonna be able to learn and discover and research in ways we've never thought possible before. I believe we're gonna be able to play and have fun and laugh just like we do here on this earth, but in ways that we've been been held back in before. What do you find yourself interested in? What kind of hobby have you always wanted to pick up? What kind of thing would you like to explore and do? I believe this is what is waiting for us. What kind of expertise or skill would you like to master but you find yourself unable to here? That is waiting for us in an earth that is perfected and whole and new in perfection and do, as we dwell with God in all that he has for us. So I want you to think through with me this concept. And we can turn back to Genesis chapter one. And I know some of you always get nervous when the pastor starts in Genesis chapter one. You're like, uh, dude, it's July 4th weekend here. All right, Genesis chapter one, verse 26. This is where we were made for. If I had asked you, hey, what were you created for? What were you born to do? I was born to whatever it was. What is humanity made for? What did he make Adam and Eve for? Well, verse 26, fascinating. After he's created the world, he calls it all good. Verse 26, God said, let us make man. This is actually humanity, okay? Man and woman. In our image. So we humans are made in the image of God. After our likeness. And let them, I love this, let them have dominion. Interesting, we don't think about that very often. Let them have dominion. Let them have rule and authority over what? The fish of the sea. Some of you fishermen, oh, yep, that's right. Okay, fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over the earth. Over what? Over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. Even the creep crawlies. It's a fascinating beginning. Let us make man in the image of God. They are not God. We, we don't put ourselves in that manner, but we are meant to rule and reign on this earth as God's stewards and ambassadors of this planet. To, to rule in manner in a way that is, that is giving him the glory that, that, that maintains and stewards what we've been given. Everything, the earth, the heavens, the fish, the sea, the birds, the creepy crawlies, everything. Right? So we're designed and created for this and made for this. We're made in the image, male and female. Then he goes, verse 28. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And subdue it. Isn't that fascinating? Subdue it. Bring it under control. Harness it. Bring it and have dominion over the, he repeats it, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, behold, I've given you every, and I have what? God says in the next verse, I have given you. I I give it to you, use it. I've given you every plant yielding seed on the face of the earth. Every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. This this is the starting point. I give you, I give you authority and, and stewardship, responsibility, have dominion, subdue, maintain, and care for the earth and the planets, and that even includes the little animals. Something we just don't think about very often. My point is this beginning is also going to be the end. It is what he's going to restore one day again, that we will be able to do what we were made to do in a way that we couldn't before and certainly can't now. We do it in part, and yet we mismanage the earth, the animals, the resources, and all that is here on the earth in a sinful manner because that is what is happening. And we are fighting against the earth because of the fall. Genesis three, that there is this cursed is the ground that we try to work in. 
Those weeds keep popping up everywhere, right? And so this is a, uh, the picture of where we're headed. And so what I want us to do is then skip all the way, and some of you are very happy about this, Revelation chapter five. Look at that. Isn't that great when you can cover the entire Bible in a few, ser- in a few paragraphs? Revelation chapter five. We're just covering it all here, people. Genesis one to Revelation chapter five. My favorite song, uh, it varies week to week. My favorite song usually is Is He Worthy by Andrew Peterson. And, and he, he, it's, this, it's on Revelation 5. We don't have time to get in all of it, but I want us to direct our attention to some of the beautiful imagery that's here and what he's saying and what he's communicating, that Jesus Christ is the one who has conquered the grave. He is worthy to open up the seals and to bring the end and to be the one who initiates kind of this coming about of salvation and the coming about of the destruction of sin and death and the ushering in of the new world and the new created life. He's the only one who is worthy of this. We sing, is he worthy? He is, right? Is all creation groaning? It is, right? We sing that song. And so this idea of of Revelation 5 is, is who is worthy to open the seals, it says in verse two. Verse five says, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and and the seven seals. Verse six says, in between the throne, the four and living creatures, among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And it fell down, and as we skip down to uh, verse nine, and they sang a new song, saying, I love this, imagine you, you, the, the heavenly chorus. This is, this, is, this is something that takes imagination here. Imagine this heavenly chorus singing out these words. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you, Jesus, were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. What kind of people did he ransom? It's a beautiful picture of what heaven will look like. You ransomed the people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. All ethnicities, all colors, all stripes, all language, all people groups, all in this heavenly chorus praising God. And then it says in verse 10, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. That's fascinating. We began in this dominion. That dominion word actually carries over uh, in the Hebrew the similar sense of kingdom, kingship. And then we have here in Revelation 5, be uh, in, in your kingdom, we will reign with him on the earth. As a priest, in a sense, as we minister, and yet as a reigning authority on behalf of God. We reign here, and it's an incredible, beautiful picture that is done because of what Jesus has done for us. In 2 Timothy 2.12 it says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. It's a fascinating picture. I don't think we think about that very often. Revelation 21, 22, we, we looked at it, it talks about these ideas. When we reign with him on the earth, what will we do? What does it look like to reign with God? as the dwelling place of God is with man. So what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, there, it looks like many different things, and I wanna look at just a few of them today. I only have a few short moments here, but I want us to just think about heaven a little bit more deeply. Sometimes when you have questions about heaven, I wonder if that will be in heaven. I wonder what this will be heaven. I wonder what the new earth will be like. Some of the times I've found there's two principles that are helpful. One is, is that thing sinful? Because it's not gonna be in heaven if it is. 
Is it good? Is it something that God would want to continue in the new earth? Is it something that represents his original design and original creation for what is tov, the Hebrew word for good? And if it is, it's likely in the new earth as well because he's going to resurrect and restore what was to be something better and yet not something completely unheard of but something new in kind, in quality. And that is called the principle of continuity. We've talked about this several different times. The principle of continuity that you and I continue to be you and I. We don't continue to be, turn into something brand new for he actually resurrects what we were and restores us and turns us into a new creation, a creation of better quality than it was before, but I'm still me, right? Similar to the earth and the trees and the rivers and the city that are all depicted in the Revelation, it's all depicted there, are still earth, trees and cities and rivers and, and they're things that we better, we understand, but in a better way, in a better state. And so that's that principle of continuity. And so in this series, I, I have purposely uh, gotten away from, um, well, I've, I've purposely pressed into this concept of heaven in regards to our final destination on the new earth. I got several questions throughout this time on kind of end times and timeline, when the millennium would take place, the tribulation and the rapture and such things like that. Wonderful questions and wonderful debate. In fact, I think we and myself need to do more study in those things. I think it's a wonderful thing. But in this series, I've purposely tried to get us to not think so much about timeline of events or news headlines and try to press into a little bit more about the things that we can agree on, whether you're pre-trib, post-trib, whatever that might be. And so I, I think what I've tried to do is press into the things that we can agree on. The Lord is returning. He is coming again. And when he does, at one point in time, whether that's before the millennium, after the millennium, whatever, he is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And so what is that place going to look like? For everybody agrees on that. And so what is that place gonna look like? Well, some, some of these things say interesting in Revelation 21, one uh, and other places that the earth passes away and it says the sea is no more. There's no more ocean, it seems. And then it says that there will be no more light in 22.5, meaning there will be no more sunset or sunrise. In verse five, it says the, of chapter 22, the night will be no more. There will be no need for light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And it's hard for us to think through about how it would be that we could live on earth with no sunset or sunrise. And if we love going to the ocean, there's no more ocean to go to. And it seems strange for us to think these things through. When you think about these ideas of light and sunrise and sunset, it is the concept that it's trying to be communicated to us that God's glory is so bright, it is so powerful and it is so pure. The glory, doxa or light, the glory of God is so bright, it will fill the earth. It is as if his purity and goodness, you cannot go anywhere without experiencing the light of God. And yet will there be a light in the sense of a sunrise or a sunset? There are other passages speaking about the, the moon and the earth and the heaven and the sun passing away. I believe there's still a sense that we could say that in the earth there is still a reality of a sun and a moon and these other aspects of planets that may still exist. But I think the idea is those will no, no longer be depended on. We won't need that light for the light of God is all that we need. And so what's being communicated is more about the spiritual purity and holiness and light of God that is from uh, basically sea to sea. And yet the concept that we also see in the ocean is that light in the past of darkness was often a representation for evil. The ocean as well was often a representation for chaos and difficulty and fear and the unknown. 
What he's saying is a very comforting statement, especially to people living in that time, that there is the ocean that is that unknown depth of fear that is no longer going to be there. Will there be still great bodies of water, perhaps maybe large oceans that we'll be able to experience in the new earth? I'd say absolutely. For the Bible speaks about it in Isaiah and other places of, of uh, the, f- the fish and the animals of the deep, and it talks about these things. But I think what's being communicated is the light and the glory of God and the peace that comes with God when he removes those things of the chaotic waters of things that are fearful. And yet there's now almost in a sense this Pangea that's returned, a unified continent, a place where people are connected and not separated by oceans and places. In fact, I was watching a documentary with my kids on the Patagonia, the South South America, and in fact, if you were to lower the ocean water by a little bit, the southern tip of of, uh, Argentina there in Chile uh, is actually connected to Antarctica, the most northern tip of Antarctica. And it's kind of fascinating. If you were to lower the water, you could walk from Antarctica uh, to South America on these little mountaintops that are hidden by the water. It's fascinating. But if we think about the earth one day potentially being in a place where it's unified again, where people are connected and together and, and unified by and, and lit up by the glory of God, that's, that's the idea that I think he's trying to communicate. A lot of other questions I received about heaven, and I think you often have them too, is like regarding animals and pets. Uh, several different people talked about these ideas and what this would be like. Uh, and depending on who you are, some people are like, you, you guys are animal lovers and pet lovers, and then there's just people who are like, want nothing to do with them. I just feel like there's two major types of people, and some of you can maybe find yourself in that place. My son, Judd, uh, Judson, and really all my kids have always loved animals. I've always loved animals, and, and I've always been about interested in learning about them. Judson, anytime he sees an animal or a robin or a bird, he's just off chasing it, right? And so there's this inherent like sense within us that I believe God puts within us of a fascination with God's creation in particular the animal kingdom and I think it's a wonderful thing for us to consider in the new earth that God made animals and he's gonna make them again who, who made us to love animals God did who made us to love and care and be drawn for the animals and pets God did Genesis chapter 1 our job is to care for the animals no animals are not people they're not the same. We've been given different kinds of bodies, different kinds of spirits. Uh, in fact, 2 Corinthians 15 talks about it, that there is all flesh is not the same, basically. And yet, will our pets be in heaven? There's no passage that speaks about that in particular. Will I see my pet again? I know I'll see my father, and I will know I will see him again, but will I see my favorite pet? And I just wonder, sometimes I'm not positive. And yet one aspect that gives me hope is the fact that, that what happened at the flood God could have wiped everything out and started brand new, but instead he rescued Noah's family and the animals. You find that fascinating at times? It's a little story that we share about, but yet God rescued the created order. He rescued and preserved the animals to then be redeemed and restored on the new earth. I believe he's gonna do the same, but in a much different way, but in a similar manner here in the new earth. And so I wonder, in the goodness of God and his great wisdom, would he know that our pets would be with us again. I I, I would like to think so. I would like to believe so. Uh, There's nothing that really hinders me from believing that, that God can do that. And so in a way, in Isaiah 11, it tells us that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And the little child shall lean over him. The cow and the bear shall graze together. 
I mean, it's an incredible picture here. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. This is just a picture of peace and safety and serenity with the animal kingdom of something that brings us so much fear as of right now will not in the future. And it will be a time when we can enjoy in its ways. Speaking of enjoyment, this is a lot of the questions I received too. Often found this, what, what will heaven be like? What will we do? And, and one of those things was about, well, how, how will we live? Will there be adventure and experience? Will we have fun or will heaven be boring? Like this church service that's going on forever, right? No, no, I'm joking. But is, is, it, is it gonna be boring or will we play? I mean, I enjoy a lot of things. Will there be sports in heaven? I, and you know where I'm going with that one, right? If you know me, right? Um, <laughs> I believe in some ways that we are gonna still be physical and we will be bodies. We will need refreshment and food and rest just like we do now. For none of those things are sinful. In fact, the way God created the world in the very beginning when it was good, he allowed a Sabbath rest. He designed the entire world to work that way. The, there are things that are just simply who we are as human beings that are not sinful, that are not wrong. In fact, our creaturely infinitude and our human, uh, humanly limits are, are part of how God has made us human. And yet I, I think when we think about heaven and, and enjoying the human experiences of laughter and fun and silliness and even sports and all that makes us human, I believe that is really what is God is going to redeem and restore in the new earth. And I think you can learn a lot about heaven and especially a lot about the new heaven and the new earth when you simply observe children play. There's, there's an innocence in children. There's a, there's a sense of heaven, I think, in children. And I, I don't mean that in a weird way. I'm just saying there's a sense of, 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 of a better life of who we ought to be in the innocence of a child. When they play and they enjoy my little son just wandering around, experiencing everything that is near to him, just loving little robins as he chases robins around the, the yard that he'll never catch. They keep hopping away from him. But he is experiencing and enjoying and, 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 and experiencing all that is around him. There is a childlike wonder in the eyes of a child. And it's that wonder that I believe is gonna be restored in you and me. For as we grow older, sin and the curse and the fall <laughs> it brings about a level of cynicism, isn't it? Some of you guys, you know what it's like. It's hard to enjoy life sometimes. It's hard to laugh when you've experienced what you've experienced. Some of you miss that childlike wonder that seemed to have been robbed from you. And it's that restoration that I believe allows us to then one day, yeah, enjoy sports in heaven <laughs> in ways that we couldn't do before. And some people say, well, well, everyone would have to win in heaven. Well, that's not true. <laughs> Losing isn't a sin. <laughs> in fact, that's what makes us human. In fact, that we can enjoy competition in a healthy way. I think God would restore that. I mean, I'd, I'd probably win all the time in heaven, but no, wait, right, wait. but there's the pride, right? That won't be there. That won't be there. Is losing a game sinful? Is being human sinful? No. Is resting and taking a nap sinful? No. That's how God's designed us and made us to be. There are things that aren't inherently sinful, but it's something in which we actually do and live and enjoy, and by doing that, we give glory to God. And then will we work? You better believe we're gonna work. God made us and designed us to work, but work won't be what it is right now. You know tomorrow is coming, and you're like, I've got freedom tomorrow, right? July 4th, but Tuesday's coming. You're gonna have to get up and go to work. It's, it's that aspect of, of living that's hard and there's a struggle, but yet heaven is a place where I think that will all be taken away. Also, heaven is gonna be a place where we can enjoy, and, and one writer was talking to someone who enjoyed extreme sports, and they were saying if heaven is safe 
and there's no risk, it's just gonna be boring. And, it, and he goes in talking about how I don't believe God's gonna make us into these uh, holy robots, for he didn't design us that way to begin with. And so is there going to be this place of no suffering and no death and no tears? Absolutely. But he doesn't say that there's going to be a place where we'll never be able to push our body to its limits. We'll never be able to experience extreme sports or hike or mountain climb. On the new earth, I don't think there's any reason to expect that we won't be able to fully enjoy the richness that this earth has to offer, but in greater capacities without sin and death. They'll be surfing and skydiving and roller coaster rides. I, I'm just really going on. You're like, where are you getting this? And the point is, let us think about heaven in a way that is not, not bringing it down to this limits of like, well, it's just gonna be this eternal church service. I think it's gonna be so much more. Yes, that in the sense we will worship God. We will sing to him in ways that we couldn't do before. But we're gonna enjoy all that this life has to offer in ways that we never thought possible before. And then there's one last thing that I wanted to kind of get before I close. And I know my time's running to an end here. There's just so much to talk about in heaven. <laughs> the marriage. I got a lot of questions about relationships and marriage. This is a trickier one because I, I fully even don't even grasp it 100%. But in Matthew 22, Jesus talks about it. You're probably familiar. The Sadducees are trying to trip Jesus up. And the Sadducees are sad, you see. Why? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Kind of crazy, right? They wouldn't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus is saying to them, you're foolish. He says, actually, you are wrong to them. And he says, you're wrong, the resurrection is a real thing, because they're trying to trip him up, saying, well, if a woman had seven husbands, which would she be in the, new, in the resurrection? Which wife would she be? To which husband would she have had? And, and they're trying to trick her up, and he says, well, ultimately, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And so the point is, that really in the short of it, is the institution of marriage, the purpose of marriage, is not something for heaven. People aren't gonna be given over to marriage. The institution of marriage will no longer be needed. But why would the closeness and the deep relationship shared by a husband and wife be removed in heaven? Well, that's a good thing. Uh, Drake Whitchurch says the purpose of marriage is not to replace heaven, to prepare us for it, to prepare us for it. Randy Alcorn says people with good and wonderful marriages are each other's best friends. And there's no reason to believe they, will, they won't still be best friends in heaven. And so for me to consider my relationship with not only my wife Jamie and to consider that I won't know Jamie as Jamie in heaven is, is ridiculous, I think. But yet to have the institution of marriage which is ultimately just preparing me for the eternal marriage with the lamb which is referenced there in Revelation 21. New Jerusalem coming down as a bride prepared for, uh, uh, for the groom. This picture of marriage, that that's the eternal marriage, there's still a continuity of who I am. My kids will still be in relationship to me as my kids. I will still have relationships with many of you as I do now. That's why what we do now actually matters. I don't believe our memory's just wiped and we don't forget anything in the future, but I rather all of those things are gonna inform the perfect harmony in which we live in, in to come. And so it's this picture of, of enjoying that. Can I explain all of that to you? No. I haven't been to heaven, okay? One day, the Lord will explain all of that perfectly for us. But there are some beautiful things that I think allow us to think that through. And so what we think this through is ultimately what I want us to close with before we come to the communion table is ultimately coming down to this concept in Revelation 5 that he's preparing us for. He's preparing us for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And at that supper, we will eat and dine with him and we will worship God for eternity in all of the ways that I experienced that we just read. Revelation uh, 20, actually no, I wanna read in Revelation, I believe it is um, 19. 
And the angel said to me, write this, let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And then he says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words and I fell down and worshiped him. It's at this marriage supper that I think of what we're about to do, it just takes a few moments with us here, is a, is a foretaste of what will continue in heaven, of experiencing and dwelling with God in his body and in his blood. It's an experience of God that we get to have together as a church, which is a foretaste of what is to come, the final marriage supper of the Lamb, the reception after the wedding. It's a party and it's exciting and it's wonderful. We will partake and eat with him and dwell with God forever. So as we come to this table, as the elders and, and deacons come forward to pass this out, I just, wanna, I just want us to reflect in prayer and thank God for some of these things that allowed us to think a little more deeply about heaven this morning. Father, thank you for this. Give us understanding. Help us to grasp these really broad and, and really almost deep things about the future, some of which, Lord, we are simply imagining of what it might be like. Yet we know your word gives us concrete examples and hope and future about what is yet to come. We thank you for these truths. We thank you for this word. And Lord, as we come before your table, as we partake in communion together, we give you the glory and honor today that we'd slow down and consider the gospel. We'd slow down and allow our hearts to be filled with your spirit and to love one another in communion and unity around your table because one day we'll do that for eternity in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.